I'm fully aware that I'm between you and the cocktail reception, so um, I try my very best to be concise. So welcome everybody, ladies and gentlemen, in my talk, The Case Against Gold and Silver Revisited, I would like to address a few things. I would like first to take up and refute some prominent arguments that are repeatedly put forward against keeping gold and silver in an investment portfolio. Secondly, I would like to take down some of the more over euphoric arguments saying only gold and silver will make you happy as an investor going forward. And thirdly, I would like to put the crypto versus gold and silver debate into perspective, arguing that the competition between these money candidates, as I call them, has not even begun. And I tell you, it will take place in an epic battle, the fierceness of which most of you cannot even imagine. To get the ball rolling, I may tell you that I received a message on Twitter, presumably as a response to my pro-gold tweet that merely read gold. The word gold spelled with a lowercase g, followed by OLD in capital letters. I assume whoever posted this tweet wanted to suggest that gold is no longer in, is outdated, old, perhaps obsolete. All eyes are on Bitcoin, not gold, so it seems. In February 2021, the press reported that Tesla had written in its 10K that it, quote, may invest a portion of cash in certain alternative reserve assets, including digital assets, gold bullion, gold exchange traded funds and other assets as specified in the future, quote ends. The world learned about Tesla holding Bitcoin. It was not considered breaking news that the firm was prepared to potentially hold gold bullion or gold ETFs as well. The press makes Bitcoin appear to outshine gold, doesn't it? Please have a look at another tweet I received lately. It says, gold buck, old buck. I believe the sender was trying to convey a quite similar message. By the way, the guy even put a kind of warm emoji in this tweet. Why call someone a bug? A bug is an insect, a creature much less prestigious than a bull or bear, is it not? Someone who believes that stock prices will be going up is called a bull. Someone who fears stock prices will fall is called a bear. Compare bull and bear with bug. It is certainly meant to belittle those in favor of gold. We should reject any such use of language. Nevertheless, the tweets I just mentioned are important and relevant food for thought to think carefully about the role of gold and to some extent silver in future monetary and financial affairs in this world. Perhaps it is not too far-fetched to assume that most of you in this room would side with Alan Greenspan who classifies gold as a currency. In Mr. Greenspan's words, quote, gold is a currency. It is still by all evidence a premier currency. No fiat currency, including the dollar, can match it, quote ends. If we agree with this point of view, namely that gold is money, then we know that gold competes with official fiat currencies, such as the US dollar, the euro, the Chinese renminbi, the British pounds, Swiss franc, etc. From an investment perspective, gold does not directly compete with stocks, bonds and residential real estate, for example. Much rather, the sensible investment decision is this. Decide which portion of your portfolio you want to invest into, say, stocks and bonds and real estate and how much you want to hold in liquid means, in cash. And if you decide to keep cash, you have to decide which currency you want to hold, US dollar, euro, Swiss franc or gold money. 
Thinking of gold as money is one thing. Another thing is to understand that gold does not carry a counterparty or default risk, as bank deposits certainly do. A bank can go bankrupt without doubt. And if there is no deposit insurance and the bank has insufficient valuable assets, your money in the bank could be lost. With gold, however, it is a much different case. Even if the banking system collapses, goes belly up, physical gold will not go under. What about the likelihood of such an unpleasant default scenario? The worldwide fiat money system is undoubtedly in great peril. And so is the economic prosperity of the people. The global financial and economic crisis 2008-2009 was essentially a fiat money regime related credit crisis. Investors feared that borrowers would no longer be able to service their debt. A flight into cash, official currencies and gold began. To stop the credit pyramid from collapsing, central banks opened their monetary spigots and provided struggling banks with any amount of new base money provided at exceptionally low interest rates. Investors soon understood that central banks were willing to do anything to prevent large-scale loan defaults, to prevent financially overstretched borrowers, banks and governments in particular, from defaulting on their debt. When the politically dictated lockdown crisis hit in early 2020, central banks immediately underwrote credit markets, slashed interest rates to practically zero, bought a wide variety of debt securities at most favorable prices, and provided unlimited credit lines to all kinds of borrowers. The important result is that the risk of default in financial markets has been mitigated. Investors can and do feel assured that markets will be bailed out. I would like to show you two graphs to illustrate what I just said. The first slide shows the credit default swap spreads for bank bonds with a five-year maturity in basis points from 2008 to November 2021. Just to explain, a credit default swap spread of, for instance, 50 basis points means that it costs you $50,000 to insure against a 10 million US credit default. So the higher the CDS spread is, the more likely the market is to expect a default. As you can see, CDS spreads barely moved in early 2020. Investors were obviously confident that central banks would bail out the fiat money system. The second graph shows the Fed's balance sheet and the S&P's 500 stock price index. If you look at the time series, you can see that both are positively correlated. As the Fed's balance sheet expands, stock prices rose. The reason is obvious. The Fed's balance sheet expansion represents an increase in the supply of US dollars, which is fueling an economic boom and driving up goods prices, particularly stock prices, in recent decades. Now let me say a few words about inflation. Most of you probably think of inflation as a sustained rise in consumer goods prices across the board above 2%. However, this interpretation has some issues. It suffers from a number of deficiencies. For instance, consumer prices indices do not include asset prices, the prices of stocks, bonds, housing, etc., the changes of which do affect the purchasing power of the money unit just as much as changes in consumer goods prices. Ignorance of asset price inflation has likely led many people to believe that inflation has come back in view of the latest inflation number as they witness a sharp rise in consumer goods price inflation. The truth is that inflation was not gone. It has never died. 
Over the past decade, central banks have caused asset price inflation on a large scale, while consumer goods prices have remained relatively tamed. In other words, the loss of purchasing power of the US dollar, euro, Chinese, renminbi, etc. has been much higher than most people would think. By its very nature, the fiat money system is inflationary, and its inflationary nature is the very reason why governments around the world have adopted fiat money. Economically speaking, inflation is a rather complex issue. It is fair to say that inflation, to use Milton Friedman's famous dictum, is a monetary phenomenon, always and everywhere. We can say no money, no inflation. Inflation, or better, goods price inflation, is best described as an increase in the quantity of money in the economy. The expansion of the quantity of money is inflation. It is the cause of rising prices, and goods prices are in turn the symptom of an increase in the quantity of money. However, an increase in the quantity of money does not only lead to higher prices compared to a situation in which the money supply hasn't been changed. It also leads to a redistribution of income and wealth among people. An increase in the quantity of money in the economy is not neutral, as mainstream economists would have us believe. It will necessarily benefit early recipients of the new money at the expense of those receiving the new money at a later point in time. This insight is known as the Cantillon effect. How can an investor deal with the consequences that inflation, the ongoing expansion of the money supply, has on their portfolio? Well, you have to earn a yield on your portfolio that at least corresponds with the general upward movement in goods prices, which is likely much higher than the CPI, as I noted earlier. Or you need to generate a yield that matches the growth rate of the quantity of money, whichever is higher. For the period 1975 to September 2021, the required minimum yield on your portfolio would have averaged 7.4%, according to my calculation, just to make up for higher goods prices and a rise in the quantity of money. Let us look at this chart. It shows you the annual changes in the US money stock, consumer goods prices, housing prices, stock prices, and the price of gold. As you can see in the second column from the left, the average annual growth rate of M2, the money stock M2, was 6.8%, consumer prices 3.7%, housing prices 5.1%, stock prices 12.9%, and the price of gold 8.5%. Having said that, gold provided long-term protection against price inflation, and it compensated the gold holder for the redistributive effect resulting from the increase in the quantity of money. But gold did not beat stock prices, and this should not come as a surprise, as stocks which represent shares in the productive capital of the economy can become more valuable over time, while gold is just a means of exchange. It does not get intrinsically more valuable. For the period 2000 to 2020, we basically come to the same conclusion. And even for the rather brief period of 2010 to 2020, gold performed reasonably well in terms of outperforming goods price inflation and tracking the expansion of the money stock. In other words, gold proved to be the better money when compared in this example to the US dollar. But it would be unwise to not being exposed to productive capital in the form of, say, holding stocks in great companies, I should add. Before I address the future challenges to the fiat money system and their implications for gold, let me talk a bit about crypto units. 
Undoubtedly, the surge of the Bitcoin price in recent years is a rather exceptional development in the history of financial markets. From the end of 2019 to November 2021, the Bitcoin price rose 751%, the gold price 20%. The emergence of crypto units is clearly a market reaction to the increasingly troubled fiat currency system. The million dollar question is, of course, could Bitcoin become money? Money is the universally accepted means of exchange. It is the unit of account for people doing economic calculation. If something like Bitcoin or an ounce of gold is every once in a while used for paying, say, coffee, books or a car, it has not yet achieved money status. Something has money status if and when it has the greatest acceptance as a means of exchange and is most widely used in economic calculation. The productive power of money is optimized if and when everyone uses the same money. As long as this is not the case, as long as several means of exchange are used side by side, the money problem has not been solved. I believe there are four hurdles which still stand in the way of Bitcoin becoming money. I hasten to add that only a free market in money could prove whether my suggestions are right or wrong. A free market in money in which people have the freedom to choose the type of money they wish to use for their transactions. My first argument is the following. There's a broad consensus that the Bitcoin blockchain does not have the scalability needed to allow for a smooth functioning of large-scale payment processes. Just to give you an example, the worldwide Bitcoin network running at full capacity can execute around 360,000 transactions per day. In Germany alone, an average of 75 million payment transactions are processed per business day in the fiat money payment system. Of course, smart, very smart people are already working to find a viable solution to Bitcoin scalability issue. Side chains and payment channels have been developed. Especially noteworthy is the Lightning Network, which allows for transactions between parties outside the Bitcoin blockchain. But the way things stand, challenges remain. There are costs associated with opening and closing channels. And there are also routing fees. What is more, there is the risk of fraudulent channel closings and congestions caused by malicious attacks. It is fair to say that the Lightning Network is a great step forward from today's perspective, but probably not yet the solution to all the challenges Bitcoin faces. The second argument concerns the intermediation issue. In a modern economy, money must allow for intermediation. Some transactions can be conducted peer-to-peer, -peer, but certainly not all or the majority. People demand intermediation services, such as safeguarding and settlement services for their money. This is even the case in today's crypto markets, as manifested in, for example, people keeping their Bitcoin in crypto trading platforms rather than in their personal wallets at home. That said, an efficient financial market needs intermediaries, at least credit specialists. Credit entails risk and this risk cannot be mitigated without involving people who make judgments. This in turn puts limit to an anonymous and trustless regime. However, once there is financial intermediation, that means a third party standing between two counterparties of a transaction, governments can be expected to take action. Subjecting monetary transactions to its regulation and tax system to the detriment of the competitiveness of any crypto unit compared to the government's own fiat money.
This brings me to the third argument. The state insisting on its money production monopoly effectively gives cryptos a competitive advantage over gold and silver. Why is this so? Well, Bitcoin transactions can be made under the government's radar. In particular, they can escape VAT and capital gains taxes. This is different with gold and silver. In most countries of the world, these precious metals are subject to VAT and capital gain taxes. And this reduces their competitive position as a means of exchange compared to not only fiat money, but also vis-a-vis -vis crypto units. The question of whether people would use a crypto unit or digitalized precious metals as their preferred means of payments is undecided as long as the state prevents a free market in money from opening. In a free market in money, people have the freedom, as I said, to choose the type of money they truly want to use for their transactions. I believe once a free market emerges, a free market in money emerges, the cards would certainly be reshuffled in the debate about the future of money. In a free market in money, Bitcoin and other crypto units would face competition from digitalized precious metals payment systems. And in my opinion, the outcome of such a competition is still open. My fourth and final argument concerns the supply of Bitcoin and the supply of gold and silver. The total supply of Bitcoin is set to a maximum of 21 million units, minus those units that have been irretrievably lost. Limited supply ensures that Bitcoin's purchasing power cannot be debased by increasing its quantity, suggesting that such a money is good money. The question, however, is, is a fixed money supply really optimal? Think about what happens in, an, in a commodity money regime where gold serves as money. And all of a sudden, the demand for gold rises sharply. People want to hold more gold. To obtain gold, people exchange goods and services for gold. As a result, prices of goods and services calculated in ounces of gold decline. At the same time, the resulting price deflation makes it more profitable for mining firms to increase output. As gold can be produced at cheaper costs because prices of goods, energy, etc. go down. The resulting increase in the gold supply works towards higher goods prices in terms of ounces of gold. As you can see, the free supply and demand for gold tends to smooth out price volatility. In a Bitcoin regime where there is a fixed supply of available units, the volatility of goods prices would be much more pronounced. If there were a strong demand for Bitcoin, goods price deflation would occur and there would be no increase in the supply of Bitcoin to counteract the decline in goods prices. Or consider the case in which the demand for Bitcoin declines. People exchange Bitcoins for goods and services, so the prices of these goods and services go up and there is no counter effect to attenuate this development. In contrast, in a gold money system, a decline in the demand for gold would trigger a decline in mining as mining would become less profitable. In addition, the demand for gold for non-monetary purposes would increase, resulting in a decline in monetary gold. And this would also counteract the decline in goods prices. To cut a long story short, it is still an open question, I believe, what type of money people would really prefer, gold, silver, or a crypto unit which has a fixed supply.
Of course, the decision is not only driven by the quantity issue. Each money candidate has its own characteristics, even though they may share some characteristics as well. As long as we do not have a level playing field for money, that is a free market in money, I would caution to call the winner just based on the latest developments. I would not necessarily take price developments as a reliable indicator to answer the question. While quite a few investors are convinced that Bitcoin is digital gold, not everyone shares this view. Take Ray Dalio. In August 2021, he said in a CNBC interview, quote, If you put a gun to my head and you said, I can only have one, I would choose gold. <laughs> quote ends. In any case, I think there are good reasons to assume that the price of gold has got quite some upside potential, especially for investors in the euro area. Holding physical gold will prove to be return enhancing and risk reducing as it is likely that something terrible is going to happen to the fiat euro. Ladies and gentlemen, the world fiat money architecture is causing ever greater economic and socio-political problems. It can only be upheld if central banks push interest rates to ever lower levels and issue ever greater amounts of money. What is more, governments and their central banks increasingly destroy what little is left of the free market system by increasing government spending as a portion of overall spending through regulation, mandates and taxes and through the downward manipulation of interest rates and thus the cost of capital. The ongoing attempts to maintain the fiat money system to keep it from collapsing will deform or transform the economies of the Western world into something of a command economy where a central authority will effectively determine production and consumption, something already envisaged by the determined proponents of the Great Reset. The escape route is a free market in money, ending the government's monopoly on money. To that end, we should applaud all efforts to provide people with better money, with sound money, money that is beyond the control of the state as we know it today. You may be wondering, isn't a free market in money a rather unrealistic scenario? Well, my answer is, if it really were that hopeless, there wouldn't be this massive 24-7 anti-free market propaganda being poured out on the people worldwide. The path towards free market and money will, I have no doubt, be an epic battle, the fierceness of which most of you cannot even imagine. Governments and their psychophants and minions would be deprived of their power, the people and the economy set free. Collectivism, socialism would be brought to an end. A free market in money is the necessary ingredient for a more peaceful and productive world to escape tyranny. We should not pitch crypto units against gold, silver or copper, but rather raise a strong call for opening a free market in money. From my point of view, this is actually the most productive contribution my talk, The Case Against Gold and Silver Revisited, can provide. If you are interested in reading more about the issues I address today, you may perhaps wish to take a look at my latest two books, Der Anticapitalist, Ein Weltverbesserer, der keiner ist, and Mit Geld zur Weltherrschaft. Please follow me so that we can remain in touch. Thank you very much for your attention.